Welcome to Equipped and Established, a podcast of Valley Bible Church where we seek to equip people with the Word of God to be established in the truth. Hey everyone, this is episode 9 of the Equipped and Established podcast. Thanks for listening. Today's episode is part of our Q&A series where we answer questions submitted by our listeners. This week we are looking at the topic of the importance of church. And so specifically the question that was submitted is, what should you say to someone who says they want to attend church but doesn't seem to make the time to do so? And so, yeah, great question. I think a very common occurrence uh, in our culture today. And as we talk through this, I think there's, uh, it's hard to give like specific kind of things to address, but I think I can talk in more general uh, things you could bring up and discuss with this individual. And so first off, I think it depends a little on whether uh, the person you're dealing with here, if they claim to be a believer or not. Uh, I, I think that affects the answer you give here. And so if not, if they, if they don't claim to be a believer, then I think it's going to be hard for them to see the value or see the importance of attending church. And so I think in that case, I mean, still invite them, right? Look for opportunities to invite them, continue to do so. But I also think you should be then also just continuing to seek those opportunities to share the gospel with them, um, as well as just keep building that personal relationship with them. Okay. Just getting to know them better, having them get to know you and look for those opportunities to continue to try to minister to them and care for them and bring the truth to them. Okay. And so that's where I think on that side, kind of my answer, if they're not claiming to be a believer, however, if they are claiming to be a believer, then I think we have a little more to say here. And that's what we're going to be focused on primarily in this episode. And, I, and I'm kind of assuming you're making the assumption here that that's kind of the case that's going on here, where maybe you have a person that uh, claims to be a believer uh, in everything, but just doesn't really go to church or doesn't make time for church, as the question says. And, and so how do we address that? And so kind of to start out, I think, just again, on a more practical kind of advice here, my first step would be to just ask questions. Okay, ask questions. Find out more about why they don't seem to make time. Okay, so and just kind of find out a little bit more information, kind of gets more data there. And as you find out a little bit more, like then you can maybe address different things. Okay, like for example, is it just, I don't know, like just their priorities in life? Okay, where maybe they just prioritize other things above kind of God or really like the church or whatever it is, um, then you can address that. Okay. You can address that and see, uh, go to different passages that, I don't know, like talk about the cost of discipleship that we are to value Christ above all things, right? Like Luke 14 talks about that, that even above relationships, we are to value, uh, following Christ and, and kind of those things. And, Romans 12, or to offer ourselves as a living sacrifice, right? Like our whole selves to the Lord. And so you can go in that direction, okay? And you can kind of give that idea. If it's maybe they're just kind of lazy and not uh, waking up well, like on a Sunday morning or something like that, and uh, then address that, right? Talk through that. And and so I think asking questions is a great starting point of just... um, 
figuring out a little bit more information how to care and help this person, okay? Because I think that's also a kind of less kind of threatening way, I guess, in a sense, where um, we're not just, like, rebuking them or stuff like that, but rather as you ask questions, you can kind of kind of peel back the layers here to find out, okay, what what is going on and how do I help them with this, okay? And so that's kind of my first initial thought as I think through this question. But then second, I think what is also a helpful thing for us to do is to show the importance of going to church, okay? Is to establish and show why is it important for them to come, okay? Because I think once we see the importance, once we see the value, hopefully we will then want to do it, okay? And so... Um, I'm, I guess, more of the fan of the, if you think of the carrot or the stick kind of method, right? I'm more fan of the carrot method of just not like rebuking this person of just like, well, why don't you come all this stuff, but, but show, try to show them the importance of it. Okay. And so, so we're going to walk through a couple, uh, kind of reasons like why going to church is important. Okay. And so the first one, uh, is the reality, like God has commanded this. Okay, God has commanded this, that we be in fellowship with other believers. And so, for example, you see in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 to 25, it says, Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. Okay, so hopefully you caught that, like that, that phrase in there of not neglecting to meet together. Okay, this is we are supposed to get together as believers, as a body of believers, as a church, we are to get together, okay? So God has commanded this. And so at a very foundational level, if you're a believer, if you're claiming to be a believer, you should care about what God has commanded us, okay? You should care what God has instructed us. And one of the things he has instructed us is to not neglect meeting together as a body of believers, okay? And so, um, again, very foundational thing you could share with this. And so this is, God has commanded this, so we should hopefully want to do it. But let's go even further. Okay, so first kind of reason, you know, or the, the importance of uh, going to church is God has commanded it, okay? Second, uh, I would like to, I don't, I don't know, maybe describe it as like, well, God has designed it this way. Okay, God has designed it this way. And we can even say, we all have a role in the church. Okay, we saw that even in that passage in Hebrews 10 there, where it says that we are to consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. And again, not neglecting to meet together as the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And so we have a role in the church of we are to look to or to consider how to encourage one another, to build one another up in love and good works, okay? And so coming to church, like, hopefully we will be encouraged, but our goal isn't always just to be encouraged, okay? Because I think sometimes people can think that of um, maybe going to church or other things of like, well, I don't get anything out of it. Okay, well, hopefully you do. If you're studying the Word of God, you should always hopefully get something out of it. But even if that's the case, what do we see from Hebrews? That's not all that church is, is just getting stuff out of it. But rather, it is also 
you're there to encourage and stir up other people. Okay, so you have a role as well to be that encourager, be that one who stirs other people up, okay? And so it's not all about just receiving, it's also about like giving, okay? It's about like uh, investing in people, pouring into people as well, okay? And we see further passages, okay? Like one of my favorites is Ephesians 4, 15 to 16. It says, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Okay, so again, like this passage coming from Paul, he's talking about about the church, okay, and even earlier in chapter 4, he's talking about the different kind of positions given to the church, the the gifts or different things, like there's teachers and all these things, right? Uh, But then he gets into this, and I love that phrase of when he says, like he's talking about the body, the the church is a body, this metaphor, right? Uh, and he says, when each part is working properly, that's when the body grows and it builds itself up in love, okay? And so when our body is functioning, when each part of our body is functioning properly, that's when we grow. And that's what we see in real life too. Like our human bodies, when something is off, when your arm is broken, uh, things are different, okay? You're not able to do all that you can do, right? And you don't, you're not growing in that way. And so in the same way, when people are missing, okay, or really not part of the church or not involved in the church and really using their gifts in the church uh, to encourage and build up, as we saw in the Hebrews passage, when we're not doing that, then what? That's going to prevent the body from growing. That's going to prevent the church from maturing in the faith, Okay, and so we all have a different role. And whether we think that or not, like we do. And, and, and even 1 Corinthians 12 talks about that, right? Paul also uses, again, the imagery of the body where, again, we can think, well, maybe I'm not that important part of the body, so it doesn't matter if I'm there or not. But what? 1 Corinthians 12, that's what Paul talks about. He's like, hey, every part's important. We're all individually part of the body. And again, you need all those parts working well. And I think of the example of, uh, like, I don't know, you can think of, like, I've seen stories and things where basketball players or something where they can, like, break their pinky toe and they can't, like, play well, right? It affects them. And you can think, like, oh, that's just, like, their pinky toe. It's not, like, a big deal. It's fine. This seven-foot guy, right? Like, it's fine. But no, like, that has a big impact on how he functions. And now that person can't function properly. And in the same way, when we are missing people, when people aren't involved and not using their gifts as God has designed, then what? That affects our body. It affects our church. And so and it, it kind of keeps them like, like growing as we ought to. Like as, again, growing in the sense of not necessarily like numbers, right? But growing in the sense of maturing in the faith, right? And so we see God has designed it this way. Okay, that we all have various gifts that we can use to serve one another. And so when we're missing that, we're missing something. Okay, and so that's why being at church is important. Okay, and even Peter picks up on this idea of gifts, but I love how he also gives kind of the ultimate goal of using our gifts here. We're in 1 Peter 4 10 through 11. He says, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another 
Okay, so notice I use it to serve one another. As, God's, as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies. And then notice this part here. In order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. And that's what we see. The whole point of our using our gifts is yes to serve one another as Peter said at the beginning. But the ultimate goal is what? That in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. That's our ultimate goal. And so we come to church, yes, to build up other people. Yes, to be encouraged. Yes, to use our gifts. But ultimately, it's about the glory of God. Okay, it is putting the glory of God on display as we use our gifts to serve one another and how we interact with one another and all that. It brings glory and honor to God when we do so. Okay? And kind of connecting to this, that last point here, I'm going to take a step back, and this might be something that, um, I don't know if you'd, I mean, you could go into detail and share this with someone, okay? Uh, but this might be a little harder because it's a little more intricate, but again, it's going to tie into this part of how does going to church bring glory to God? And I already mentioned kind of those previous things, but let's kind of stay, take a step back to even at a foundational level here. And this ties into something that I had a previous professor in the past that kind of brought this up and it's stuck with me ever since because it is such a kind of a, a, a great insight into the importance of going to church. Okay. Um, even attending a church. And so, um, and so we're going to walk through kind of a biblical way of why this is important and, and everything. And so kind of start out again, we're starting almost from Genesis and moving through. And so in Genesis, right, you have man and woman created, you have mankind, humanity created. Okay. There's just one humanity, all that Genesis three happens, the fall sin enters, uh, and the effects of sin are being felt. And there's really that question of, well, how do we get back to what God created us to be? That's kind of the question, right? How do we get back into this relationship with God that was pre-fall? How do we get back to what God intended us to be? Um, and that's really the answer we see kind of unfold throughout Scripture is how do we get back, okay? But as you continue through Genesis, you see uh, the effects of the fall, okay? And one of those effects is that when humanity where at one point or considered like one people where they had one language and the same words, all that. What did we do with that unified humanity? Genesis 11, we rebelled against God. Okay. That's like the tower of Babel, that whole thing, right? Where, uh, we use that unity that we had as humans to rebel against God. And so in that process, Genesis 11, we have, what we call it the tower of Babel where God, uh, disperses people through language, okay, where he uses languages to where they can't communicate well, and there's this kind of fracturing of humanity in a sense, okay, where there's now this disconnect, where it's no longer just one people, there's the nations and different things unfolding, okay, but as you continue through the Old Testament, you start to see that, again, we're still answering this question of how do we get back, how do we get back to how God created us, and we see that begins to unfold even as early as Genesis 3.15 as there's going to be this one who's going to come, this person who's going to come to kind of reverse the curse, to reverse the effects of the fall, to get us back to that relationship with God. And we see that's 
what we call like the Messiah. Okay, he's the one who's going to bring this restoration. And part of this, we see, again, zooming ahead a lot in the Old Testament to Daniel chapter 7, where we see this mentioning of this one like a son of man, who is clearly identified here as like the Messiah, okay? Uh, and it mentions in Daniel 7 that the son of man will be given authority, a kingdom and all that. And it says, so that all peoples, nations, and languages will serve him. So there will be this son of man who will bring unity, okay, who will reverse the effects of the fall, Tower of Babel, all that, right, and bring that restoration. And so who is the Son of Man? We see clearly New Testament unfolds Jesus, okay, Jesus is that, and you see, again, even in the New Testament, the Gospels, you see Jesus refer to himself as the Son of Man. It's a common uh, messianic description, and again, tying into all of this, okay? Okay, but keep going a little bit further, and so Acts chapter 2, so Acts chapter 2 kind of details the kind of formation of the church, the birth of the church, I guess you could say. And in that text, in, in, that, in that chapter, you see some important elements here. And so first off, you have language that connects back to the creation of man. Okay, so like in verse 2, for example, of Acts 2, you have this word uh, used where it's like the wind, the rushing wind comes or something like that. And that, that term for wind is not the normal Greek term for wind. Uh, it's more rare and, uh, it's only used one other time in the new Testament. And in that case, it's translated breath and throughout the Greek, the Septuagint, the Greek, uh, version of the old Testament, uh, that term is normally used for breath as well. Okay. And so that's probably more of the idea. And one passage in particular that uses that same term is in Genesis two in the creation of Adam. It's that word that's used for the breath of life that the Lord breathes into man to give him life. And so the use of the term here in Acts chapter 2, I don't think is accidental, because again, if he just wanted wind, he could use more common word for that, but it's not accidental because I think he wants to connect back to this account in Genesis to show that the church is this new man. This is the new humanity. Again, part of this kind of re-getting back, right? Getting back, how do we get back to what God created us to be, okay? But that's not all. Okay, because do you remember what happens next in chapter 2 of Acts? You have the apostles proclaiming the gospel, and as they do, do you remember this? The people were hearing them speak in their own languages. Okay, and so in that moment in Acts chapter 2, you have languages no longer fracturing or dispersing people, like we saw in the Tower of Babel, but rather what? You have languages unifying people. And so essentially, this is the reversal of the Tower of Babel. Okay, and so what you start to see, um, even in Acts chapter 2, the start of the church, what you start to see is that through the work of Christ, there is this reversal of the effects of the fall. And so now you have the church kind of put on display as this new humanity, this new man, this new humanity uh, of how God intended it in a sense, okay? And you see um, that the Bible views it this way is confirmed in Ephesians chapter 2, like in verses 11 through 22, where Paul affirms that on, the work of, that on account of the work of Christ, his death and resurrection, namely, there is no longer Jew, there is no longer Gentile, but instead there is simply just one new man. And he says that those 
who are in Christ are all one. They are one people. Okay, they're unified in this way. Okay, so <laughs> went through all that. How does that relate to us going to church? Okay. And so once you start to understand this, that the church is this kind of new humanity, okay, that in the church you start to see these reversals of the effects of the fall. And specifically, like we looked here, like uh, the Tower of Babel type of thing, right? The, the disunity of humanity amongst the nations and languages and all that. Now we have this unity here in the church. Once you understand that, you start to see why meeting together as a body of believers is so important. And it is because every time we meet together, it is a profound statement of the power of the gospel. Christ's victory over sin and its power is demonstrated by people from all ethnicities, backgrounds, nationalities, gathering together as one to praise and worship the Lord. Okay, do you understand that? And so again, we're not dispersed anymore. We're not fractured based on our nationalities or ethnicities or all that backgrounds. But rather, we are all one in Christ. Okay? And when we gather together, worshiping the Lord, worshiping Christ, that is what's on display. And so coming to church is not just a small matter, nor is it just an obligation we feel like we have to do. But instead, going to church is actually one of the most profound, Christ-exalting things we can do as believers. Because why? Because when we gather as a body of believers, what are we declaring to the world around us? The gospel works. The power of Jesus, the power of his death and resurrection, the power at work in us as believers works to bring unity to the to people, right? That's what a common thing, right? Like the kind of stereotypical, I don't know, beauty pageant answer, like, what do you want? Like, world peace, okay? Well, how do you have that? Through Christ, right? And that's what's putting on display the world around us. Like, we can have people from all different backgrounds and ethnicities, all that, gather together as one and get along and love each other and serve each other and all that. Why? Because we're just so nice and caring or whatever? No, it's because of what? The work of Christ. It is the work of Jesus in our lives. That is the common bond. And that's what we put on display to the world around us. And so that's why it's so significant for us as believers to be a part of a body, to be a part of a church, is because we are putting, when we gather together, we are putting on on display the glory of Christ. Not only in how we serve each other and use our gifts and all that, but even in just the meeting together. As we sit there and worship Christ together. Okay, And so hopefully that gives some insight. Hopefully that gives some encouragement of kind of why it's so important to be a part of a church. And hopefully gives you some also insight into that specific question of things you could kind of share, some advice of how to interact with someone who maybe 
doesn't seem to make the time for church. And again, you don't necessarily have to go through that whole thing I just said, but hopefully you see from all that the importance of coming to church, okay? And again, this isn't like a thing of like not meant to guilt trip or anything like that where that's not our intention. Um, Hopefully we don't do that with people, but rather we should hopefully seek to show people why it is so valuable, why it is so important to come and hopefully encourage them in that way to be a part of a body of believers. So hopefully this is encouraging for you, uh, hopefully challenging as we think of being involved in the church and all that. And so that's going to do it for today's episode, our Q&A for today. And look forward to answering more questions. And so we'll catch you all next time. Thank you.